welcome to Backstage with Becca B with special guest Dana Steingold. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Backstage with Becca B. On this episode, you might know her as the Girl Scout and Olivia Understudy from Beetlejuice on Broadway. She also was a member of the national tour of the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee and was an off-Broadway productions of The Visit, Avenue Q, Saturday Night, and Anyone Can Whistle. Please welcome Dana Steingold. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, I mean, I've been keeping busy with this uh, little, uh, little interview series, talking about theater, and I mean, trying to do my part to keep the conversation of theater alive, because like, I mean, I, I'm not talented, like you all are and I can't post like covers and videos so I don't think people want to hear me sing so I'm just like, totally. how can I help to bring theater a lot back like the conversation that's awesome yeah and honestly it's like everyone's doing their own thing I think some of us feel less uh filled with covers um than others you know what I mean yeah. I think we're all like focusing our energies differently for me I think it's been advocacy and politics so it's just like you know yeah. <laughs> well how are you I'm good like hanging on yeah <laughs> I mean since, yeah just trying well, to make it through one day at a time yeah like what month is it right now is my problem right now completely I I can't believe it's been almost like I think it's almost eight months right at this point it's crazy it's yeah insane. Yeah, it's, I was actually saying the other day, I was like, oh, all these hairs are starting to grow back because they're not like broken from pin curls. And I was like, yeah, it's been about eight months. I mean, like, that makes sense. That <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there, there's pros and cons to, to totally. the Yes, yeah, so my hair is very healthy. My cords feel great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we love that. So I, anyways, I'll get into uh, some theater questions that I have for you. Okay, yeah. So have you always known that you wanted to perform and act in theater? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I was just kind of a precocious kid and I had a lot of energy and I was always like, I was in dance classes from the time I was about three and my mom said I just like, I was always like the one who knew the dance and I would get upset when other people didn't execute it correctly um so which is you know now I, I would not call myself a dancer so let's just call it bossy honestly uh, <laughs> let's let's call it spade a spade um and I was about seven and a friend was auditioning for a community theater production and said will you go with me and I begged my mom to let me go not really knowing what it was and um I got in and then I just never stopped uh so I think I never had like a time where I didn't think it was something I was going to do I can't I know that's crazy, but I can't really recall like a moment where I made a decision. It just like evolved that way. And my parents let me do it as long as like my grades stayed up and um, that I agreed I would go to college. So that was pretty much it. <laughs> so. It was like, you like, you obviously found out that you liked performing when starting out and dance. Yes, yes, for sure. And I was always singing. I was the kind of kid who like watched a movie one time and knew all the lines, like that kind of thing. And I made, I played a lot of like make-believe and luckily my parents gave me a lot of siblings so um, I got to cast them all in my shows but um, 
our biggest, I would say like our most popular production was Cinderella and I was always Cinderella and my siblings were always the evil stepsisters (laughs) all the time. And the like, I think we all have this very similar area in our home where like some place was the stage. So for me, it was like the fireplace was the stage and behind the couch was backstage. Yeah, my siblings spent a lot of time backstage. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure, I'm sure they loved being the evil stepsister. They loved it. There's a lot of embarrassing videos of me being like, it is not your turn. Like, stay back. Stay backstage until it's, until your cue. Yeah, the weird thing about all the shows I produced and directed and starred in is that they didn't have a lot of lines, so. There, there is a theme to them. Yeah, for sure. I was very much featured and they were very much, uh, not. (laughs) And they were like, I need this for my resume. Yeah, exactly. So, but it got better once I started doing real theater. (laughs) Yeah. What was the first, like, theater show you performed in? Um, it was The King and I at the Jewish Community Center in West Bloomfield, Michigan, and I played Princess Yowlick, and let's recognize that it was a different time and that it, that's not an appropriate thing for anybody to be playing at this point in time. <laughs> um, but I had a few lines, like at the end, she's like, dear Mrs. Anna, and she has like a little monologue. Um, and I just loved it. And I heard people applaud for me for the first time, and I was like, that's it. Like, I don't need to explore any other career choice. <laughs> and then kind of going off of that, what was the first show you ever saw? Ooh, the first show I ever saw was, well, I guess it probably was a concert of Sharon, Lois, and Bram, which is probably like way before your time, but they were amazing. They were like a kid's band, and I was obsessed with them. And uh, I, the first musical I saw was a community theater production of Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, starring, um, ready for this, because this is like crazy. It was Danny Gerwin, Aaron Dilly, Hunter Foster, and Sutton Foster. And they were all like within four towns from me. So those were like the people I grew up watching in community theater. So I thought community theater was very professional because they were all so gifted and went on to like major, major careers in theater, obviously. Um, so I remember seeing that production of Charlie Brown being like, these people are amazing. Um, not knowing that community theater was not typically like that. Yeah. yeah. And my first Broadway show was Cats at the Winter Garden. Oh, like, mm-hmm. uh, hey, it came full circle. Very full circle, yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm gonna get into, uh, I'm gonna get into Beetlejuice later, obviously. Sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, people want to hear about that. But, yeah. um, so where did you go to school and what was your experience like in school with uh, theater in, uh, education wise. Sure. So, I mean, growing up, I went to just a regular public school. Um, I did theater in middle school. And then in high school, I just like, basically did theater outside of school and kind of got forced into doing the musical my senior year. And they were like, come on, you have to do one, like you're going off to study musical theater. Um, So I did How to Succeed in Business without really trying that year. And I had a great time, but, (laughs) and then I went to NYU and my experience was kind of amazing because NYU is a little bit different than, um, let's say like a Michigan or Carnegie Mellon, neither good nor bad, just a little bit, um, it's a bigger school. You get to experience um, and work really closely with like film majors and uh, screenwriting majors and 
um, directing majors, et cetera. So I had a lot of experience just working, doing a lot of like student productions, not just um, like the main stages, which was really cool. And a lot of those people have become like constant collaborators today. And um, yeah, like Alex and I actually went to school together and we've done a couple like really weird shows where we basically did them for free um, with our friends who wrote them just kind of for fun. And that's really like what theater should be about. But once you get to a certain point, you sort of like the politics of it and the uh, business part of it takes over. So in a weird way, I think the time we're in is sort of like bringing us back there of like doing things for the joy of it in a weird yeah. way. Yeah. If there's one good thing to come out of this very strange time, but yeah, but I feel like in school, like one of the great things about like going to college for what you love is building the connections and uh, meeting people who you can team up with. Yeah. Projects, which like, that's amazing that you yeah. were able to like team, to team up with people from your school to create. Theater. Oh yeah. And for me, it started long before I actually went to a theater camp called Stage Door Manor um, in the Catskills growing up. And so many of my friends um, are like who are still with me today are my friends from summer camp and um, I think probably because it was the first time I was in a place where people were as passionate about theater as I was um, and like the nerdier you were the cooler you were you know what I mean love it because <laughs> um, the more you knew about theater like it made you like kind of like the you were like a jock essentially you were like the equivalent of a jock um, so you were like varsity musicals. Um, and uh, that's actually where I met Connor Gallagher, who was the choreographer at Beetlejuice. He and I did my very first show at Station Manor together. I was 13. He played my father <laughs> in The Boyfriend. Um, and then, you know, obviously because of camp, we stayed in touch. And right after college ended, um, he performed for a while and then uh, started thinking he wanted to choreograph and direct. And that was really the way he was headed. And my friends from college had written a show and they were looking for a director for the Fringe Festival. And I was like, oh, you should call my friend Connor. And that is actually like the first project that Connor and his associate Nancy Braun and I all worked on together was a Fringe show. Um, so it's very full circle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many full circle moments in your yeah. life. It's like things happen. All roads lead back to Beetlejuice in like a very strange way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, everything happens for a reason, so to speak, type of Absolutely, thing. yeah. Like, if you hadn't had met this person, who knows what would be different in your life. Yeah, it's always like that, which is why you should always, like, if something seems fun to you, or it's somebody you want to work with, like, just say yes, as long as you can. There are times where you're like, if I say yes to this, I'm not going to make my rent. Like, I have to, like, work at night, whatever. But um, I always say, just, like, say yes to as much as you can because you never know the friendship you're going to make, the collaborator you'll end up, like, really connecting with. You just don't know. And, um, and also, it's a chance to perform, which is really why you got into this in the first place. It's, you know, so often we get lost in, like, the hustle of it and the feeling like we have to keep, like, getting to the next place where if you just enjoy where you are, you're like, I am performing, like I'm doing it. I'm yes. being an actor. Um, and it doesn't matter that I'm getting paid $12 a show. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm an actor cause I am doing it. So. And yeah, you're doing something you love. Yeah. And do you think that it helped that uh, at NYU that you were involved with the film and 
TV programs kind of, like, especially now, do you think it's helpful? In this oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, if nothing else, it just, NYU, even though I study musical theater, I feel like the emphasis is actually less on the musical part, which for me was great. Um, I think it challenged me. I think it, um, it allowed me to step outside of my comfort zone and become a really strong actor first so that I could walk out of school being like, I'm an actor who sings, you know what I mean? And I, I'm not afraid of doing a play or doing, you know, not that anybody who goes to another school is, but um, we're really forced outside of our comfort zone. Like I don't know many musical theater programs that start out making you do like Arthur Miller and Chekhov instead of like starting with Rodgers and Hammerstein. So uh, <laughs> in a weird way, there are rules I probably won't play for a long, long time if ever, but it stretched me to a place of being extremely uncomfortable. And really that's when you learn the most. Um, and I wish somebody had told me that in school because it would have been a lot more enjoyable at the time instead of so like, oh. But I look back and all the times that I really was like, I am so uncomfortable because I feel I feel like I'm terrible right now. Like I feel so untalented. And those are always the times that you're learning the most. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to see that when you're in it. Especially with performers. Performers are tough on themselves. <laughs> yeah, I think we all tend to be a little bit type A. Like there'd be no way to do this job because you have to multitask at um, so many levels all the time. Um, so many cylinders are firing at once. So like you have to be a little bit type A because also like, your performance isn't about you, it's about all the people around you. Um, yeah. And like serving them as an ensemble. So it's always, yeah, it's hard to release the type A, but it's also, you learn that with age, like it's good to get a little messy and like make mistakes. Like you learn so much from them. And sometimes the most brilliant choices you end up getting to are, they sort of like are birthed out of your worst moments in a weird way. Or what do you think is, a worst moment and people don't notice in the audience oh totally totally i'm sure you've had i'm sure you've had that when like after a show you go up to like a friend and you're like i messed up on like this millisecond of a song and they're like when yes absolutely. Are you they're like are you crazy when <laughs> yeah, of course we're all like so hard on ourselves but i think like the older you get the easier it is to kind of release that and just yeah. be like i'm a human i'm not a machine um you know it's gonna be my version of this today is not necessarily my version of this tomorrow. I'm going to hit all the same storytelling marks, but like no one is at a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. It's just not possible. Um, so I think like we get easier on ourselves when we get older and I would gift that to myself as a younger person and to any young person I speak to now. I'm just like, go easy on yourself. It's, it's okay to be imperfect. And in fact, I think the best performers are imperfect. Um, and when I really look at who I idolized growing up, I didn't even realize that's what I was looking up to, if that makes sense. I just saw, I saw perfection, but it was perfection within the messiness, which is what makes them so interesting and makes them stars, you know? Yeah, they're human. Yeah, exactly. So getting into Beetlejuice, you were involved in Beetlejuice from the beginning stages. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So like the very beginning, how did you get into uh, working with Beetlejuice? Oh gosh, um, you know, when shows are first in development, oftentimes um, when they're doing readings, they don't hold auditions, they just kind of put a breakdown out and agents will submit a list of names, essentially, you know, they want to be considered and there's usually not auditions, usually 
everyone on that list is sort of a shorter list and they've been around for a bit and it's like they can either be looked up on YouTube or you've been in for Alex Timbers or been in for Chris Kugel or for something else. So um, I think like it was just kind of a weird serendipitous thing where it was like, I was kind of ripe for it and my agent pitched me and they were like, great. And then I showed up, <laughs> which as all good actors do, you show up. Um, yeah, and then I just kind of, I saw what it was for the first time. I saw a Girl Scout and I was like, I think I know what this is. I, I'm gonna try it this way. Like, I think it has to sort of be like one foot inside the joke, one foot outside of it, sort of like with a wink to the audience. Like if you're ever really concerned for her, it becomes unfunny. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you have yeah. to be like concerned, but in that like, oh no. <laughs> like in that, it's a very different kind of, um, I guess this, it shouldn't be stressful to just be like, you know something like hilariously strange is gonna happen to her. Uh, and luckily they kept me on and, and let me stay. And I feel very grateful that they let me do so. <laughs> What's it like workshopping a show and watching it grow as like you're involved in it? Yeah, uh, honestly, it's such a gift. It's really rare that people get to stay on from the very, very beginning. Um, I think it's a testament to our creative team. They're super loyal as well. And I think like, when things were working and they saw people sort of like gelling certain relationships, um, both on stage and off, I think they kind of smartly like kept those pods together. Um, and I, it was the very first reading, Carrie, Jill, Danny, and Leslie and I were the five who were there and Gilbert. And um, the next go, Alex and Sophia came on and also, I think that was also possibly when Adam Danheiser came on too. And then we all kind of like spent a few years developing it. And it's cool because you get to see all the changes. You get to see like great choices, things that we thought were hilarious, but like didn't ever make it out of the room, but are like these really fun sort of secrets for us. Um, you get to watch people develop and try things and really find their way. And like we watched Sophia grow from like a real, I think, I mean, we first met her, I think she was like just about, she had just turned 15 maybe. Wow. So it was like really like watching someone like move through their teenage years and become like a woman and uh, which was just very cool and watching her grow into her own. I mean, she was always like insanely talented. She was never talented like a 15 year old. She was talented like a 45 year old woman, like she's just a gifted, but it was really cool to watch her like own that, that space. Um, and watch her performance grow too. So yeah, it was just a really special experience uh, all around, I would say. How do you go about creating a character? Like, yeah. since you developed your character. Yeah, I think, well, the first thing you do obviously is you read it, you go with the context cues that are given to you. Um, you know, obviously with something like Girl Scout, it's specific because it's a comedy piece, so, and I also have so little time. You have about like 10 seconds to make it make sense for people. Um, it's a character that nobody's seen before. Um, so you kind of have to lead like with heart a little bit because otherwise it becomes this like caricature of this thing. And then people are like, why are you here? So even though it is in broad strokes, um, I think my, when I was approaching it, I, I was sort of like, 
I need to see exactly how small of a choice I can make and like how small this can be because I think with that song it's like less is more or it becomes like a hat on a hat kind of thing um and the more shtick you try to do to be like a kid the like less it reads in a weird way I think in my at least in my experience of trying things um could be different than someone else um so yeah I always just kind of go with like lyrics context cues um and then we had great writers and a great creative team who sort of like saw what we brought in the room and then we're like can you just punch this? I think it'll make a really big difference. Or this is really landing. What if you try it like just up the stakes of like this by, you know, 10% and that, you know, it's a collaboration. It's never just an actor. It's why, um, you know, the whole team is important. Yeah. And yeah. do you think, uh, what's the biggest change that happened when, from pre-Broadway to when Beetlejuice was on Broadway, do you think? Yeah, sure. Well, I think from the very first reading, if we're going all the way back, um, Lydia's mom was a character. So she actually found her in the netherworld and she sang a song that was sort of like home, like in yeah. that position about her like going on to live her life. And I think they smartly realized it wasn't effective, as effective rather, for her to see her than for her to make a choice of like to let go. Um, so that got mixed. Um, and then I think we'd always done, I think the goal of Beetlejuice has always been, let's go as far as we can go and let's just test the boundaries of it. Um, and it's sort of a room full of actors who are willing to like try, fail, try, fail, and like do anything for a laugh. Like, I swear, I think one of the prerequisites for getting cast was like, would you cut off a limb for a laugh? If so, you can be in Beetlejuice. Because <laughs> um, we're all like, sure, we'll do that. Um, <laughs> like nobody ever says no in that room. So <laughs> nothing is too weird of an idea to try. So I think when we got to DC, we did the NC-17 version of it, like slash rated R. And I think they really smartly realized that although we found it to be like the funniest thing ever, that um, they wanted parents to be comfortable bringing like a 13, 14 year old to the show as well. So they found sort of, I think like a middle ground of like a PG-13 sometimes like hinting at rated R version. And I think the way I describe it is if DC was jokes first, when we got to New York, it was story first and I think really started to move into that Lydia-centric um, territory. And Beetlejuice was a little less crass and we were all not sure how it was gonna work. When we first read the new draft, we were like, ooh, is this gonna go? Like, this was so different than what we had seen, but it, like, it just proves like how little sometimes you know on a page and how much it relies on like everybody to bring it to life. And it really was like absolutely 100% the right choice to go in this direction. And plus, the audience for the show was a lot of uh, a younger audience. Yeah, which I think they weren't expecting, honestly. I don't know that any of us, we could never have predicted the journey of Beetlejuice and the fandom of Beetlejuice in a million years. I think we expected it to be like a culty thing for people who are, you cool. know, in their late 20s to so they're like 50s who know the movie, love the movie. Um, also that it's centered around like a dude 
And I think it's a, it's a musical that I think guys can come and like really like, and not guys who like musical theater, but like you can truly like bring your boyfriend who likes SNL and they get it and we'll sit through a musical and be like, musicals are really cool, turns out. Um, <laughs> and so I think, yeah, it's like, it's weird. But then when they started centering around Lydia's story, we could never have predicted, I think, how people of a certain age, um, girls, boys, it, it didn't matter. It was just that there was someone at the center of our story who was feeling real feelings. Um, she's depicting what a teenager really is going through. Hopefully most people haven't gone through a loss like that, but I think a lot of us have struggled with not feeling seen, feeling like we don't fit in, um, and the darkness, um, like depression and anger. And I think, especially as women, we're told to like repress that and not feel it. And I just think it's really cool that we have a show that centers around a girl who's just a real girl. She's not a princess. She's like not like perfect and trying to get, she's not trying to like get a guy to love her. She's trying to like push through her feelings, you know? And I think that really resonated with um, teenagers. Do you think uh, the social media presence the cast had as a whole also helped a lot with the with the popularity of the show? Because I feel like you all, as a whole, all were very good at connecting with fans on social media. Yeah. They, I mean, fans love that, so. Yeah, I, um, I think we all made a really conscious choice because we really, like, we were coming in as the underdog, you know? Like, yeah. we kind of got, like slammed in DC a little bit and we were like kind of surprised because we were like we think what we're doing is really funny um and then the same thing kind of happened in New York it was sort of a mixed bag but we knew what was happening in the theater every night was really special so we were like if somebody who sits you know from a critical standpoint if somebody who is sitting and watching this uh doesn't like they're not watching the show correctly if they're not seeing the response around them right like it could not be your cup of tea but if you don't see that people are coming in cosplay and losing their minds every night, like we're not seeing the same show or having the same experience. Um, which is why it's so interesting that reviews and, and critical response is um, so heavily weighted when I think it should really be about the experience because it's like hard to capture that, I think. Um, so that's a whole other conversation. But um, yeah, I think because we were coming in sort of as the underdog, we knew we had to build everything for ourselves, And we were so genuinely proud of what we did and loved each other so much that we were just so excited other people liked it. So whenever anybody was like liking the stuff about the show, we would go and like it and be like, thanks for coming. And we really enjoyed the stage door. And I will say that like Alex um, sets that, I would say sets the bar from the top too. He's very much an engager. Um, of fans and stage door and I think everyone in our show really loves the stage door not because we like signing things but because it's like really cool to meet people who are like I've listened to this album for three months and I can't believe I'm here or this is my friend like we met online because we made cosplay TikToks together and we met here in New York to come see the show and I'm like if people don't think that theater is an essential business and don't yeah. think theater heals the world, then they have not experienced Beetlejuice because there are so many kids who felt they had no one and somehow found a whole group of people through this show. And it's just like, really, I mean, like selfishly, it could make me cry. Like really touches me that people- It's making me cry. 
Yeah, like it has nothing to do with anything I did personally, but um, it's just cool to be a part of something that has taken on this totally crazy trajectory. Um, and we're genuinely all just like so grateful because we never saw this coming. Um, <laughs> That's making me cry, honestly, because like I can relate to the meeting people on social media because of like something entertainment wise. So yeah. yes, entertainment is essential. Mm -hmm. Anything entertainment is essential. And I mean, I can imagine like people coming from, I know people came from other countries to see your show. Tons, yes. Like just to see your show probably. It's crazy. Even now, like teaching online and stuff, the people who will book, I'm getting things and I'm like, what time zone is this? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like they're in Istanbul or like, oh, they're in Russia. And I can't believe that our show has like, I just can't believe it's like crossed those boundaries that like people in Russia and Thailand and Istanbul, like that they not only hear the album, are obsessed with the album. And when I like zoom in with them to teach them, their rooms are full of Beetlejuice. I'm like, where did you even get all these? Like, how did you order this? It must have cost a fortune to ship it. Like, um, that level of commitment is like, I guess like overwhelming, but also like really beautiful. So, um, it's yeah it like the pressure of it can be a lot but it's also like really special and um you know i think we were just saying the other day we saw someone made a compilation video people being like thank you so much for beetlejuice and leslie sent it to me and then i sent it to someone else and we all were like it made us cry because like if we did nothing else like even if this is the end of the beetlejuice book which i don't think it is yeah. um like we made people all over the world really happy for like a year and yeah. you don't like you don't get to say that a lot about a lot of projects you do that kind of come and go and no one really cares <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's like regardless of reviews as you said like reviews i i don't trust them anymore because i've seen so much that it, that's so good that yeah. maybe critics haven't liked that i love like i yeah. mean pretty woman too didn't get great reviews i saw that i saw that on broadway and i thought it was fantastic. Well, also there's, you know, there's all levels of entertainment. Like entertainment isn't always high art. You know what I'm saying? Like there has to be room for everything, which is I think what was kind of um, the conversation backstage when, you know, we were like kind of discussing how it was received. We we're like, not everything is the band's visit or Sunday in the Park with George, two shows that I love very, very much. And I think there should be a space for everything. And one of the things I think that we don't talk about enough, frankly, um, is that our show has also uh, not only figured out a price point that was accessible to people and to families and to teenagers so that they didn't have to spend $180 a seat um, to see live theater, which so often you do. Um, and they figured out how to make it accessible while still making a, a profit and selling out. But also we have the most diverse audience of any show on Broadway in terms of um, ethnic backgrounds, financial backgrounds. And I think we didn't really talk about that enough when we were sort of talking about like the theater discussion of moving spaces and whatnot. Um, because I think with all the talks of um, equality throughout theater, and we certainly want that um, backstage and in all levels of our industry, it also starts with the audience and expanding who the audience is. Um, and making it equitable and accessible uh, for everybody. So I think our show kind of, we certainly didn't answer the problem, but we, I think like 
strangely helped and are like we're like a cog in that wheel of change in a weird way so I hope we see more of that in the future I mean I'm sure and I don't think that anyone saw the last of the show um and then I have to ask about Lydia so when did you start when did they say that you were also going to uh be playing Lydia and understudying yeah um right before we went to DC they told me I was going to have to do it. (laughs) Um, I think just because of the way the tracking was. um, So I think it was just sort of like my, my track made the most physical sense um, in the terms of like when they're figuring out where all the coverage can lie. And yeah, so they were like, can you just come in and like sing dead mom and do the scene? Uh, And it was just like Alex and Chris, like just our director and musical director and the casting director, and I was like, is this an audition? Like, this is terrifying, actually. Like, am I gonna lose it? <laughs> um, and they were like, no, no, it's literally not an audition at all. You just like, we just had to like say we did it. And I was like, okay. Um, so they were like, we're also hiring a child, like who's like gonna be like the, I was, cause I was like, I, no, 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 she'll cover you and Lydia. I was like, great. Um, so truthfully, I never expected I would ever go on so it was a surprise really? to me that I ever went on. <laughs> um, yeah, it like in DC, um, especially because Presley was so young, like Presley did all the rehearsals and I just watched and sort of noted in case like, God forbid there was an emergency and like they were both ill or something because I think in DC, definitely Presley would have gone on like 100% just because like, for a million reasons because then they'd have to swing someone on in my track and all these things um and then when we got to new york they rehearsed presley like through most of also just because of the schedule of previews and all that stuff like they mostly rehearsed her and then like sophia put in for her first vacation and they were like we're gonna split it and i was like what um so then i like did like a kamikaze rehearsal process but i've been doing my own notes and you know, I've been an understudy once before and I went on opening night. So I was like, always do your job, always be prepared because you just never know when you're going to be called on, you know, called upon to execute. So like I could have gone on at any moment, but certainly rehearsals for like large group numbers are very helpful um, or quick changes, stuff like that, that you can't really rehearse on your own. Um, So yeah. And then I, I was just not like surprised, but I was like, I never thought I would go on. So the moral of the story is always be prepared. And uh, it was super fun. And I really never, yeah, I like never saw myself going on, but we pretty much ended up uh, doing most, mostly like splitting all the vacations and all that stuff. So uh, it was, it was a really fun job that I never saw coming, I guess, like an extra perk to the day. How many times did you get to go on? Oh, I lost count, but, uh, <laughs> a lot. Not, I mean, honestly, none of us are big caller outers, if you will. Like no one in the show really, I think like I missed, I took my vacation, my one week vacation, but other than that, I missed one show. Um, so I think, I think probably if I'm guessing, I probably did like 25 and pressing maybe did 30. Wow. Hey, that's a good, 
Yeah, because, you know, a lot of times it's also just path of least resistance, like the least amount of people who need to be swung out. And if it was a last yeah. minute thing or a one-off, it was always going to be Presley because like, otherwise Brooke has to go on for me. Presley only does half my track. Um, so it means two people are in and then it's, they're unavailable to cover other people. Everything's like a puzzle piece with a show with an ensemble like that because everybody's covering multiple people. So it's just kind of a, a nightmare, but yeah, we got to do it quite a bit. And, um, it was always like, I think it's exciting when understudies go on in any track. So how do you bring, how did you bring yourself into the character of Lydia? Like, how did you make her your own when you got to go on? Yeah, well, I mean, Sophia made an incredible blueprint, um, but then, you know, all three of us are so different as humans. Um, so I think really it's just about finding the truth, like what you see of yourself in, in Lydia. For me, I think it's like her drive and her persistence and also her empathy. I think like Lydia of all, like of all the characters in the show is the biggest empath. I think she feels things really, really deeply, which I do too, in a way that I, I wish I didn't sometimes, because very, <laughs> like, taking on, like, the weight of the world is, like, terrible, like, terrible quality, actually, and I need to, like, really be better about it, um, but, yeah, I think, like, that drive, that determination, and then I think because I'm older, there's also, like, a, a piece of it where I'm on the other side of it now and I've made it through. So in a weird way, it sort of helps my journey because I, not that I can play the end at the beginning, but I think the most beautiful part of Lydia, in my opinion, like my favorite scene is in home because I think you really see that she's been the parent the entire time. And Charles has been like kind of playing the role of child because his, he's just refusing to discuss, refusing to face any sadness. And she's like, just let me feel this, like, let's move forward, please. And I think that's the biggest, like, turn for her is, like, that choice to move forward. Um, so I think because I'm a little older, I have a little bit of a different perspective on, like, those scenes. Um, but it's just interesting. Each of us, I think, has our own favorite scene, our own best scene, you know? And I think that's what's, like, exciting about seeing different people play all the parts is, like, no one's wrong. You can have a preference, but it's like no one's wrong, which is really cool as long as you're kind of like hitting all the marks, you're not in anyone's way, and yeah. you're still telling the right story and doing the beginning, the middle, and the end. And I'm sure you have multiple fans who came to the show to see all three of you on. Yes, there are a lot of people. I truly like the Beetlejuice fandom is amazing. They're so supportive of understudies. They were like huge fans of everyone and like Will and Natalie and Kim and Sean, like everybody our swings who are the unspoken heroes of our show like truly Brooke and Eric are the most I, I don't know they both cover like 11 to 13 tracks like it's like wild and both of them have gone on with like moments notice in tracks they do not cover like they're really miraculous and I could never do that so I think like swinging is such a special skill and our vacation swings just they're like so into everybody and it's very cool like to watch yeah. um understudies like i mean even understudies like you all i don't understand how you do it. it well you know i think you compartmentalize and you like i learned like really early on my first job out of school i was an understudy and i covered it was in spelling bee and i was covering three different tracks so i realized early on like 
A, keep really good notes. Always go over notes before you go on, even if you've done it a million times. And then I had a short list so that if I found out I was going on like 15 minutes before or like 40 minutes before and I wouldn't have time to like go over everything, I just wrote three things down for each character that would like help me center myself into it. So whatever those three things are for you, um, whether it's just like three traits, whatever they are, like for me, for Lydia, it was like one quote, um, one character trait and uh, one specific line of the show that sort of like, set me off correctly. And then if you go on knowing that, like you just have to trust yourself and then take, you just take the ride. It's like, you know what I mean? Cause you know it, it's in your bones and it's about trusting and just riding the wave of it. Because I think we always, it's usually you just get in your own way, if that makes sense. Cause yeah. you can't really fail. Like as long as you hit your numbers and you're in your light and nobody dies, like you can't fail. <laughs> like, <laughs> dying is a plus <laughs> nobody dying is a plus but you'd be surprised how many people get injured so um just because if you're one inch out of where you need to be in a packed production number like beautiful yeah. sound like that can really injure somebody because like it means like Mateo slipping off the table and then doesn't have enough room and then his leg kicks somebody else in the head and then you know or you're tossed in the air and you like aren't packed tight good. enough yeah it's just it's like there's weird little technical things you have to remember but um, it only gets weird when you're doing more than one track in one day, because then you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which doesn't happen that much, but um, only happened to me like once or twice where I played like Girl Scout at the matinee and Lydia at night or something. And that's a little bit like, you're like, oh, change. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but usually you have like enough notice, like you usually know by like 530 or six, if that's happening at 730 or eight. Um, so... <laughs> Like, where am I right now? Yeah, when you're like, well, I was going to have dinner with my friends between the show, but I think probably I need to focus. Yeah. <laughs> um, remember who I am in this yeah, next show. Yeah, exactly. Like, recalibrate my settings a little bit. But, I mean, uh, yeah, I always say it's like, being an understudy is like, I compare it to making like a Thanksgiving dinner. If you try to take out all the ingredients at once, it's very overwhelming. So you're like, oh my God, like there's the heavy cream and the potatoes and the turkey and the gravy and there's so many sides. But like, if you just take each dish, one dish at a time, you're okay. So I'm like, go on, you do like the opening. Great, you have 15 minutes before you sing Dead Mom. You're like, great. And then like, once you get through Dead Mom, you have a little break and then you're like really on the ride and you don't stop to think. And so I think you just have to take it piece by piece by piece and then you'll, succeed because if you see the end at the beginning it's like a really long two and a half hours oh yeah <laughs> it's like it's like going into work at, for like a nine to five and and being like oh I just want this day to be over like it's not gonna end fast for you at all no and you don't enjoy it because you're worried about like you're already worried about you know creepy old guy and you're in dead yeah. mom you know what I mean it's just not you don't actually enjoy any moment because you're not really present so I'm always just like, listen, respond, trust, you, you've done the work, you know what I mean? So the, I guess the summation of this is always be prepared. Just like yes. work as hard as you can and be prepared. And that's true of auditions. That's true of your final callback. And that's true of just being an actor in general once you have the job. Like just say yes and be prepared and cause as little trouble as possible. And you will make yourself very valuable. <laughs> yes. 
And yeah. before I move on from Beetlejuice, um, I know I talked about this earlier, people want it back. And I know that most of the cast thinks that it's going to come back. And I mean, from the buzz about it, there seems to be a great chance. Why do you think it should come back to Broadway? I think that when all of this is over, people are going to want to laugh. And I think our show does that better, excuse me, than anything else. Um, but yeah, if there's one thing I've learned with Beetlejuice, it's never say never. Because every time we think we aren't going to do something or aren't going to succeed, we always do. And I think a little bit of that is just that we all have a sense of humor about ourselves because we're like, whatever, we're just here to party. Like, <laughs> truly, like everyone in Beetlejuice is just there to have a good time. Um, and we just enjoy each other a lot. And I think that's what has sold it to the audience in a way is like our relationship with each other. And yeah, I just, I can't explain why I have optimism about it, but I just feel like we were robbed at the last three months and knowing the things that were going to happen for the show in those last three months, um, which were really cool. I just, I think they're all still gonna happen. And I think yeah. they'll, we'll find a new place to haunt for lack of a better. <laughs> I mean, I think the theaters will be like, yes, we want the show here. Yeah, I think it's just a technical thing of like our set is very, very big. It costs a lot of money to do that. And now everybody will have been closed for quite a long time. And hopefully we'll receive some federal grants yeah. for our uh, community and for all of these shows so that Broadway kind of can boost itself and, and get back up. But I really believe if anything's gonna make it, it's Beetlejuice. I don't yeah. know. I have no real information to, to share, but I, I do believe that. No, I, I think so too. I mean, it has to do a lot with the fan base and- Yeah, there's a demand. Yeah. So- but if there's a demand, like, you gotta bring it back. <laughs> yeah, I'm always like, keep the Beetlejuice gospel alive because I promise you it's very powerful. Yes, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this interview does yeah. help a little bit with, with it. Because yeah. <laughs> I, want, I want you all to be able to come, to come back. To Me too. I would really would love to like finish what we started. Because yeah. I think we are, we, sh we should get to do that. Yeah, <laughs> we deserve. Yeah. And then I've talked a lot about Beetlejuice, but um, what's another favorite show you've done besides Beetlejuice? You know, I've been really lucky to do a lot of great, great, funny, funny shows. Um, I had my first show out of college was doing the National Tour of Spelling Bee. And that was just like going to graduate school, um, getting to work with like James Lapine and Bill Finn, two people who I like idolized still, but especially at the time to like being fresh out of school. And that group that I was on tour with was just like this incredible group of people. We were all in our very first jobs, but now everybody's kind of like really successful. Like it was like Sarah Stiles and Lauren Warsham and uh, Miguel Cervantes and Eric Peterson, just like everybody's doing, is all over the business right yeah. now and just like succeeding on crazy levels. Um, and Jen Samar, just really amazing, amazing, amazing cast. Uh, and it was like cool, cause we were all like 22 or 21. So it was like all of our first big jobs and it was just really, really fun. Um, and then Avenue Q is always fun. Um, 
it's so hard to say like and anyone can whistle donna murphy slapped me across the face and i was uh in a scene and i was like this is such a gift <laughs> <laughs> like i was like i'm being slapped by donna murphy on a nightly basis and like this is great um yeah you i always say like you get like one theatrical gift a year like you just have to sometimes you have to look for what it is you know but you're like Oh, I got to this workshop with Cheetah Rivera this year, and that was like two weeks of a master class or like whatever. So sometimes no one else sees the gifts. That could be. Um, but yeah, I always think it's just cool to be in rooms with really interesting people. And luckily, um, whether they've been on like huge scale productions or not, I've gotten to work with a lot of really cool people. So, um, which is kind of what I'm hoping to do and, and moving forward to is just like work with people I like to work with. and um do weird weird stuff because that's the good stuff i think <laughs> well speaking of working with people uh who are who like you look up to and i mean admire their work who's an actor or an actress that you would want to be in a show with any show oh gosh there's so many i mean i have been obsessed with bernadette peters since i've been very young and i would like I want to be young her in a movie of her life. Like, I love her. Um, make it happen, manifest it. Make it happen. Make it happen. Um, gosh, there are so many people. I Like, even Oblazada, I just think is amazing. I would love to work with her. I think she's just, like, so, so special. Um, oh, my God. It's, like, so hard. There's so many good people. Like, I could just start naming, like, so, <laughs> like, Opera Hines is so amazing. And I just love, I'm obsessed with... Um, like since childhood, Brian Stokes Mitchell. So like I would do anything just to like listen to him sing and anything. And there are just brilliant, so many brilliant up and coming people. Um, there were directors and I'm just like, oh, I'd love to work with Sam Gold and I'd love to work with Casey Nicola again in like a real production, not just like a encores um, kind of thing. And um, I think Mark Rooney's work is really cool. And, you know, it's just like, it's so interesting, like, as you start to see things, you're like, wow, this is so weird. Like, I want to be a part of something they do or um, yeah. anything they touch is so weird and interesting. I mean, Timber's yeah. one of those people for me too. I just think he does such um, visceral work and all his productions were so creative. Um, and I was, yeah, I was just like thrilled to get to be in a room with him and like watch how his mind works and develops because you learn so much that way. Yeah, everyone in, everyone in this business is like so clever in their own ways. Yes, I mean, even in our show, like watching, like Carrie Butler was someone I looked up to um, growing up. So getting to watch her work and Rob work and Brightman, who I went to school with and have known forever, but watching him work is really, really kind of brilliant. Like he, his mind moves so fast and like new ideas are just spewing out of him at like rapid fire speed. And you're like, whoa, whoa, he just said something completely different three minutes ago. And it challenges you because it makes you have to like up your game to be able to keep up. Um, and watching Leslie find all her like physical shtick, which is like so brilliant. And she does, like she's truly like one of the best, I think, comedians out there um, and has been for a long time, but this gave her like, um, I think the platform for everyone else to like know, like realize what everyone else already knew in the business. But yeah, so I just think you'll 
you know, there's so many people who I admire and luckily have gotten to work with, but. Have you been starstruck by anyone you've gotten to work with? Yeah, I don't get starstruck easily. Um, but I will say I did like a reading with Kelly O'Hara and I was just like, well, also because she's so kind and like nurturing and motherly and warm and, but not in like a fake way. Like it's really who she is. And I've watched her teach a lot and she's so invested and really like not like not fake and won't be like, you're amazing if you're not. She's really like good at finding the things people need to do. And she's amazing. Um, I was a little bit starstruck when I did Anyone Can Whistle with Sutton Foster because like I had seen Thoroughly Modern Millie like four times in college and I was obsessed with it, like unhealthily obsessed with it um, and her. So yeah, I was like really, I was really a little bit starstruck with that, but otherwise, I don't get that. I don't get that starstruck, but there are people who, if I would meet them, like if I met Oprah Winfrey, I wouldn't be able to speak. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw I saw a video of her calling someone yesterday. So like, if you got that call, I put that on my story, and I was like, if Oprah Winfrey called me to vote in Texas, yeah. I don't know what I would do. Like to be honest, but it's like weird because when you're meeting someone versus working with them, I think you have an automatic like. When you're working with them, you have to put on this face of professionalism so you can't get starstruck or you can't do your job. Yeah. Like when you're outside of it, it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it would have been like if she called, if she called you, it would have been like, hello, is anyone there? Do we need to send someone up? I know. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine. Also, she's a great phone banker. I was like, she's way better at phone banking than me. And I've been doing a lot of phone banking. <laughs> I'm so awkward on the phone. I like, I, I can't. Yeah. Phone banking is also just by nature weird. It's like, ugh. yeah, but sex banking yeah. is weirder because people aren't afraid to yell at you or say something nasty because it's like behind the form of a text. So, um, I prefer phone banking in a in a weird way. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. nasty text messages back. <laughs> I mean, people aren't afraid to send all caps and whatever they can think of behind a keyboard. Yeah, correct. So. And they aren't afraid to tell people when they're, I, I saw someone like post something about like someone sending them a message that they were unfollowing and I was like, what? Oh yeah. Well, you know, that happens. Like, I think it's happening to a lot of us with, um, you know, the political conversations happening. Yeah. And I think like one of the most beautiful things about this time period has been that um, a lot of my friends and fellow actors, like we're all kind of in the worst place we've ever been in financially and emotionally and all these things. And we've chosen to use this time to push forward what, what we think. I mean, again, I don't want to say someone's wrong. Yeah. What we feel to be um, the most empathetic and equal system uh, and candidate that we can get behind. And I think we've all used this time and donated our time, um, hours and hours of our lives daily to this campaign. And um, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm excited. And I think actors make the best advocates and make the best um, 
yeah, I, I just, I think they're the best activists because we understand how to rally people. And I think, but with that comes controversy and people yeah. not necessarily agree with you, which I'm totally open to. And I'm open to engaging in a conversation, but not if you come at me with yelling. Yeah, we don't have time for that. You've already made up your minds. We're not engaging in a conversation or even agreeing to disagree. You're just yelling at me. Yeah. We, like, <laughs> there, yeah. there's a mature way to go about things. Of course. Yeah. And it's beautiful seeing a community come together to work and for like what they, what will create or maybe I mean, what people think will create a better world. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. And none of us do. I think we just, I think all any of us want, especially in our industry, because I think it sort of is full of people of, you know, all races, sexual orientations, um, levels of education. It just, it's very, uh, it's like a potpourri of people. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like a, a big mix. And uh, I think we all just want a better world and a more passionate and fair world. And yeah, it's been really nice to kind of see everybody kind of gather together around one idea and um, we have the time for it this year, <laughs> which I think we haven't necessarily had in the past um, to really spend time like phone banking and text banking and I'm going socially distant canvassing um, in a couple weeks in Pennsylvania. Yeah. I know, so I'm like, I gotta do everything I can so that if it doesn't go our way, I can at least say I did everything that I can do. <laughs> um, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I mean, and hopefully it'll help people see that, uh, like hopefully we can create a world where the arts are viewed as essential, as you said earlier. Yeah, I hope so. I think it's, uh, if you're not already, you should follow the uh, Be an Arts Hero campaign and the Save Our Sages campaign. Uh, it's like really imperative that we pass the Dawn Act. Yeah. We really need help. We are really, uh, we're getting to a place where it's going to be very hard to recover. Small theaters won't necessarily recover. We're essential really to the economy of both local and our national GDP. And I think people don't realize how much we contribute. Even just uh, theater alone, I think it was $15 billion just Broadway last year to the city, which is more than any sports team in the tri-state area contributes. And that's not even counting like the hotels, the businesses, the restaurants, everything that relies on Broadway being open yeah. to make profit as well. So yeah, I think it's really important that if you like the arts, you vote flow. <laughs> I, I just think anything to anything to help the arts out yes yes if you can't get behind the other thing get behind the arts maybe that's your way in yes yeah and then okay and I'm gonna start wrapping up but uh I feel like you give really good advice so how do you how would you uh what advice would you give to actors trying to prepare for an audition um preparation 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 you it is the only thing you can control like go over the sides a million times go over your music i'm personally a fan of um people talk about your book a lot and i think it's kind of a myth that you need like a huge repertoire of music keep five songs in there that you can do at 10 a.m when you have bronchitis a sinus infection 7 p.m doesn't matter on your best or worst days you're going to nail it 
I go over all five songs because the amount of times I've been like shot in the foot by singing something that I mean like, do you have anything else? And then they look through my book and they pick the one song that I haven't done in like four years. So having said that, keep five songs in your book, just kind of quickly go over them all the time um, before so that you're not like thrown off because again, like you're the one in control of that audition. And then I would say, just know what sets you off. Some people like need private space and to focus before their audition. I like to get places early, but then not go into the space because I don't need yeah. to like see who is before me and like psych myself out. It's not worth it. Um, I sign myself in, I put my headphones in so that I'm focused. I go and I do my thing. And then just remember to show who you are because truly it's the only thing you, you can control and show your heart because that's all anybody wants to see. I think we get really wrapped up in like, well, we have to sound like this or we have to like be this person who I'm trying to replace. But really like all anybody wants to see is an honest interpretation that you're going to bring and your heart and nobody else can do that besides you. So don't get wrapped up in trying to be somebody else. Just be who you are, be fearless in that. And don't be afraid to be a little messy also. Cause I think that's what makes you unique and shows that you're thinking on your feet and actually present. Um, perfection isn't always like the best, if that makes sense. And then finally, I would say lead with storytelling because a lot of people sing really well, a lot of them. But what they can't do is tell a story. So really focus in on that. Combine the two. Mm -hmm. And what's your dream role? Okay. This is so hard. Um, there are, <laughs> I mean, I guess if I were really, if I'm picking something that's in existence already, I'd really love to do Glinda. Um, I would love to do Dawn and Waitress, although, you know, in some production somewhere at some point, I would love to play Dot in Sunny in the Park with George. And then I would say like anything that I get to create in anything. So, cause then yeah. it's mine forever. I would love to see you take on Glinda. Thank you. Yeah, I would have a great time. <laughs> I feel like you'd be really good at it. Uh, it's really good too. I know. Well, it's kind of how I naturally am. So it's like, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but also, I just think it's like a fun score to sing. And I love the idea of like sharing with another woman. I just I like love that part of the show too. So, um, and I've seen a lot of my friends take on either role and they're all so amazing and unique in their own way. So I just think it's like fun to take, like that's a different kind of challenge is like taking something that has been done so well for so many years and stepping into it and making it your own while honoring what somebody else, you know, has created for you. Uh, and that's a different challenge than creating from scratch. So yeah, but I'm, I'm kind of there where I'm like, that might be an interesting thing to do at some point in some company somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope, I hope that happens. Thanks. And then how do you work on self-confidence in this industry? Uh, truthfully, I think a lot of it is about surrounding yourself with people who build you up. So I think it's about keeping people around who don't let negativity in and it's always about looking forwards and never sideways because it's really easy to like your confidence goes down the more you look this way because you're like, well, this person like 
was in that thing and this person like just got nominated for that award like i'm never getting this job but if you can keep a forward trajectory you have to be like a horse with blinders on because people really peak at different times and everyone's path is so different um so you just have to remember that like it's not a race you're going to you know you're going to find the things that are right for you and be a part of them and trust in that so i think it's definitely about like telling yourself that it's not about like oh like i guess that it's not about broadway broadway is amazing but you can be very successful and not be in a broadway show so i think it's figuring out how to like find success at every level of the business and redefine what success is for you and that'll keep your confidence up and plus if, if, like even if you're not on broadway like regional theaters is like something that keeps theater alive for everyone in the world like yeah. in the u.s and frankly some of the best work i've done and been a part of has been in regional theaters because they can afford to take the risks that yeah. commercial theaters otherwise can't in new york like it's very hard to do bare bones dark productions of new plays um you know downtown because it's very costly so it's very cool to travel the country and experience i think like the worlds of theater in each pocket and i've been really lucky to do that so yeah take advantage of it you get to, it's so freeing you get to try things and you're out of like the limelight of new york so if you fail it's like it's okay no one's gonna see you that you know <laughs> it's also getting your name out in, in places all over the country so when you are on broadway like people are gonna like people from other states will come to maybe see yeah. specifically you Yes, and a lot of those theaters are so tightly woven into the educational sphere of their community. There are so many cool places like Baltimore Center Stage and um, Westport Country Playhouse and Paper Mill that really have um, a lot of work with the kids in the community who growing up like do theater and they have great outreach programs and make theater accessible to kids who wouldn't otherwise get to see theater or afford it. And so it's just, it's very soul fulfilling to be a regional theater as well, so. Yes. They and everything. <laughs> speaking of uh speaking of making the theater world accessible to kids, you mentioned uh teaching. Mm -hmm. And so where are you teaching? What uh what do you want to promote? What uh <laughs> how to uh get in contact with you for lessons or sure. So yeah, I think like a lot of us, um I'm on you can go through Artists and Beyond, Broadway Plus. Um I also teach um through the prep in New Jersey and um, all virtually. And um, you can also email dsteincoach at gmail. Um, and I teach privately as well. And some people just do also like, are like, I'm not gonna like coach, but I wanna do like a Q and A or those kinds of things. And um, not for just me, I'm plugging everyone right now in my world. Um, everybody is available right now. So it's a really awesome time to like, hire somebody who really knows what they're doing and is actively pursuing it if you want a mentor or a class or anything like that like tell your teachers tell your friends it's a very good way to support artists right now who have no other source of income so thumbs up and, and that's me everyone i'm gonna post all the links to your to where people can find you for coaching and stuff in the description. is there anything else you'd want to promote uh that you've been doing or no, I mean, you know, no. <laughs> uh, 
I'm here. I'm promoting being kind to people through this time. Please stay mentally healthy. I promote that. Um, reach out to people. I think this is a weird time uh, for everybody. So just like, I always say just like check in with people and just be like, how are you? And you might not get a response, but I think it means something to people when you reach out. So uh, yeah, I'm promoting right now uh, being kind to everybody and also kind to yourself too. Like extend yourself the same grace that you would give to other people because this is a really weird time. And I think just getting up and doing one thing a day is like, you, you're successful that day. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. We all need to remember to be kind. Yeah, and I, I think we forget, but also I think we mostly forget with ourselves because um, we're all really hard on ourselves and we're like, gosh, we should be achieving so much more during this time. It's like, it's a pandemic. There's nothing to achieve. Just stay <laughs> mentally healthy. Like, that's all, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. yeah, that's my, that's what I'm promoting. I'm promoting kindness and also the BNR Tiro campaign. <laughs> yes. And yeah. uh, where can people find you on social media for more inspiration like you've provided in sure. the past hour. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know if it's, it's inspirational, but there is a lot of my dog. Um, you can find me at D Steinface um, on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> and I love dog content. I mean, yeah, who doesn't? Makes people happy. So of course. That's important I, during this time. Absolutely. I literally like that's it. All we can do is find joy where we can right now. <laughs> Yes. Well, thank you for coming on this and talking with me. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'll let you know when I uh, post this on the platforms. Sure. And I'll send you all the links. No problem. Have a great rest of your day and a great rest, rest of your week. I was like, what day is it? <laughs> thank you so much. Stay healthy. Thanks. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for watching this episode of Backstage with Becca B. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BeccaBTalksTV. Or for more exclusive content from this interview and more, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Backstage with Becca B. Make sure to subscribe to my channel and like this video. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give me a five-star rating. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you guys next time. Bye!